Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning is the third and final week in our short sermon reflection series called Civil Righteousness. And we borrowed that title from a ministry of that name because I think their tagline is just so good. It says, inequity requires a civil rights movement. Iniquity requires a civil righteousness movement. And so we've been studying Micah chapter 6, verse 8, which famously says, He has told you, or, or he has made clear to you, conspicuous to you, O humanity, what is good? Or what it means to live a good life. And what does the Lord require of you? In other words, what is his will for you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So the last two weeks, we've looked at what it means to do justice and to love mercy or kindness. And mainly that's been on the civil side of civil righteousness. It's been about how we treat one another in society. But today we want to talk about that third statement about walking humbly with God and talking about it as a matter of righteousness. Because biblically speaking, your righteousness is a way about talking about what justifies your existence, about what is your justification for why you're here to the world, to your creator. In other words, it means being a truly good person. Now, the events of the the last several weeks, they've really been a catalyst that has shaken society that has shaken the church. And as we've been focusing on justice and mercy, I know that many of us have been realizing a, a need for change. We've been realizing a, a, a problem and that maybe you feel a sense of urgency, this desire to act, to somehow make a difference. And at the same time, I've also been hearing from a lot of people that as they felt that urgency and that need, they've also felt an extreme sense of fatigue in it all. There very quickly arises this deep sense of overwhelming, of powerlessness in the face of huge obstacles. And so you quickly get a sense just how massive the problems are and just how tiny your level of knowledge and skills and actual influence is in the face of those problems. And so it's a good place to be in to really feel the weight of the words that Micah says. It's almost like we begin to feel, oh, is that all you require, God? Just, just these little things to do mercy, to love kindness, and to walk humbly? Is that all? <laughs> and that is actually an immensely tall order on our lives. If you're not convinced of that, all you have to do is go and read Jesus's exposition of the law that Micah summarizes. Jesus talks about what this kind of life actually looks like. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
And that is what righteousness looks like. Now, we're talking about what it means to be a truly good person. I think that the majority of people think of themselves as a good person because no matter how bad you are, there's always someone else you can still look down on. <laughs> I remember uh, growing up in Battelle, there would be working with people coming out of addiction, and there would be a lot of my best friends and, and mentors were ex-heroin addicts, and you'd have some that they remembered, they would smoke heroin, and they would look down on the people that would inject heroin. They said, oh, well, at least I don't do that. Or I steal, but at least I've never stolen from my mother. You know, there's always somebody, no matter how low you go down, that you can, you can still look down on and think of yourself as a good person. But how do we actually judge a good person? Well, to judge something as good or bad, you need to know its purpose first. So a good hammer, for instance, is one that can drive a nail through the wall because that's its purpose. That's how you judge a good hammer, and that's different than how you judge a good watch. So how do we judge a good person? In the same way that we judge a good hammer or a good watch, what is a human life well-lived? Well, we have to know its purpose. According to Scripture, our purpose is to glorify God and to worship Him because He's the greatest thing that there possibly could be. So He deserves it. And Micah sums it all up like this. I'm paraphrasing. A well-lived human life is to worship God by doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly. That is how we fulfill our purpose. So simple, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. In fact, it's just about the hardest thing in the world to do all of those three things at the same time. Because there's actually a tension between the three of them. For instance, if you're all about justice, mercy isn't part of the equation. Because justice means giving people exactly what they are due. But doesn't mercy mean withholding punishment that someone deserves? Or you could state it more positively and talk about it as kindness. Doesn't kindness mean doing something above and beyond what a person deserves? And so there's tension between the two. And even if you do somehow manage to live this life of merciful justice, which is kind of a, a contradiction almost, it's very easy to become proud of yourself and of how wonderful a person you must be and, and begin to look down on others. And so you end up no longer walking with God on his way. You end up walking alone on your own path of righteousness. Now, everybody wants to be a good person, but the difficulty, when we really face up to the difficulty of what that really means, it leads to what you can call the problem of hypocrisy. Because being good is hard. Acting good is much easier. And so we fake it. Now there's been a lot of talk recently about this thing called virtue signaling. And virtue signaling is when someone fakes their concern about a particular issue because they want to look good to other people. 
And so social justice is, is the, the, um, it's the, the popular cause right now. And honestly, part of my reaction is there's a lot worse things that could be popular. <laughs> it's not a bad thing that being seen, wanting to be seen as good, people see that as something worth faking. That's not the worst thing that could happen. It's actually, it would be a worse place to be in where no one even bothers to be a hypocrite. Doing what actually makes for justice is actually very hard. It's very costly. And so it's tempting to just make a quick Facebook post and, you know, just so no one thinks I'm not concerned about all this. The problem is, the irony is that calling other people out for virtue signaling has now become another way of signaling our own virtue just to a different audience. <laughs> Everybody wants to look good to somebody. And so the reality is, when we're honest, that we all signal our virtue to other people. But here's the thing. If you justify your value to the world based on your virtue, it inevitably leads to hypocrisy. Why? Because the only way to do that is by making yourself appear better than you really are. So here's the next point. Justifying yourself on the basis of your goodness inevitably leads to hypocrisy. And you might say, well, Ian, that's pretty cynical. <laughs> but the thing is, even if you lived a life of perfect mercy and perfect justice, those are not actually meritorious acts. They're not actually anything above and beyond. Those are just simply the things that we should have done in the first place. Now, there's a great theologian by the name of Chris Rock. He points out the absurdity of people who say, well, I take care of my kids. And he says, you're supposed to. You want a prize for that? <laughs> That's what you should have done in the first place. It's nothing to boast about. That is basic. And so when we justify our value based on our virtue, you end up having to boast about things that are really nothing to boast about. You end up having to, to try and make yourself look good better than you really are, which is hypocrisy. Now, the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypokritos, and it originally referred to an actor on a stage. It was, it was the, you know, the Greeks invented drama, and they would wear masks as actors, and, and those masks you would recognize as the symbol of the dramatic arts even to today. And so Jesus was actually the first person recorded in history to use the word hypocrite in the sense that we mean it today, to someone wearing a mask, a false persona. Jesus used it to diagnose this human problem of hypocrisy. And so the thing is, if you look at all the ethical value systems of the world, it's not immediately obvious that hypocrisy should be something to be concerned about. Because a lot of ethical systems would point out the important thing is doing the right thing. Not necessarily your motivation for doing that thing. That's what the Pharisees taught. That's what uh, the five pillars of Islam could be interpreted as saying. Your, your motivation isn't really the factor. What's important is, is what you just do. Jesus showed that true goodness is not just a matter of your actions, but it's a matter of the heart. 
An honest person isn't someone who just has never stolen. An honest person is someone who wouldn't steal even if they knew they could get away with it. And in the same way, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says a murderer isn't just someone who actually physically kills somebody or an adulterer, an adulterer is someone who actually physically cheats on their spouse. He says murder is inside you when you assassinate someone with your words. Adultery is inside you when you undress somebody with your eyes. Murder and adultery are just the poisoned fruit of a diseased root. The roots of anger and lust. When they bear fruit, they bear the fruit of murder. They bear the fruit of, of adultery. And so when you recognize this, when you, when you look at the true nature of goodness, you see yourself in that light, you, you, you can quickly jettison the idea of being a truly good person. And you begin to have this recognition that there's a distance between us and God, that, that we as human beings, we actually owe him something. And so, when you see yourself in that light, if you want to be a person of justice and point the finger, well, it means that there's three fingers pointing back at you. And we have to admit on a personal level that we deserve justice for the wrong things that we've done. But if you swing all the other, uh, to the other side and you want to be exclusively a person of mercy, it means there can be no justice. It would mean that there would be no payment for all the wrongdoing, all the oppression and evil in the world. And even if you want to try and hold both together and prove to the world that you are justified in your life and existence by being just and merciful, well, you quickly become proud and self-righteous. You become a hypocrite. So what's the answer? The only way to hold justice, mercy, and humility together is in the gospel. In the gospel, perfect justice and perfect mercy are combined. If you think about God's promises and God's character that's revealed in, 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 in the scriptures, how can God be just, because he is a, a God of justice, and yet also fulfill his covenant promises of mercy? Well, we see the answer in the cross. Because in the cross, God in Christ fulfilled the demands of justice because he took on the responsibility. He took on the cost for all the world's evil. And yet also in the cross, he fulfilled the perfect mercy that he promised because he excused the ones who actually incurred that cost. It was an act of utter kindness. And so Jesus on the cross, he did what was required of humanity. He performed perfect justice, and he also acted out of perfect love and mercy towards us. And that's what makes Jesus the first truly good person able to hold together perfect justice and perfect mercy and come before God 
to worship him fully justified on his own merits. And so that's why this gospel is good news because Jesus then looks at us and says, if you belong to me, you no longer need to try and justify your reason for being. You, need to, you don't need to justify yourself before God because you're justified in me. You belong to me. I've done what was required of you. And so come and stand before God with me. And it's good news because it's a gift. You don't earn it. In fact, if you try and pay for it, it ceases to be a gift. You actually refuse a gift when you try and pay for it. And the gospel is good news precisely because it's a gift and not something you have to buy, not something you have to pay for and earn. Because what do you do with a gift? The only thing you do with a gift, the only thing you can do with a gift is receive it. It's that simple. But when you receive it, a gift produces two things. It produces relationship and it produces humility. So first of all, when you receive a gift, a relationship is naturally formed. Gifts are naturally what you give when you want to form a relationship. So that's why on Valentine's, you offer your Valentine a rose. You don't write them a check for their time. <laughs> Gifts make relationships. They form bonds, which is why you should be very careful about what gifts you receive, especially if they're offered by a timeshare company. <laughs> so gifts form relationships. That's the nature of a gift. But the second thing is, once you receive a gift, the only proper response is humble gratitude. Humble gratitude. Gratitude is inherently humble. Why? Because when you're grateful, you make much of the giver, not much of yourself as the receiver. When you, when you buy something, when you purchase something, you become proud of that purchase. And, that, you know, it, uh, you can be proud of having done the work to earn the money, to buy that thing, and so you're, you're worthy of that thing. And that's why you see oftentimes Ferrari owners parking up on the curb right outside of the restaurant because they want everyone to see what they've been able to buy. And they're happy that they can afford the car and afford the ticket. <laughs> But think about this. If someone, that's buying a supercar. If someone gifted you a Ferrari, it really wouldn't make any sense at all to be super proud about having received it. Look at me. Look at, you see how I received that gift? Aren't I wonderful? No, you would naturally overflow with gratitude towards this person who gave you such a costly gift. And so you see how the gospel of grace, God's gift of righteousness, it actually cuts away at the root of hypocrisy. It frees us 
from the burden of having to prove our worth by how good we are. And it frees us to be able to focus on how good he is. That is what proves our worth. That he was willing to die for us even when we wanted nothing to do with him. That humility sets us free to grow in true goodness. A goodness that is for the sake of gratitude to him, not for the sake of earning his favor. And so the next point is grace-filled humility is the difference between virtue and mere virtue signaling. It's very hard to look down on others while you're looking up at him. Pride is this deceptive estimate of ourselves. But humility is this this daily choice against that deception of pride and arrogance. You could say it this way, humility is the conscious cultivation of a godly estimate of myself. I'm so valuable that he was willing to die for me. And yet, in myself, I was so messed up that he had to die for me. And so when you look at yourself in the light of the cross, St. Augustine said it, said it like this. He said, the sufficiency of my works is to know that my works are not sufficient. The sufficiency of my works is to know that my works are not sufficient. And so this is how the grace of the gospel sets us free from hypocrisy. It establishes a relationship with God where we're able We're able to follow him, to learn from him how to be just, how to love kindness as he does without needing to fake it. Why? Because we know that we're justified in him and not in our own moral performance. That is what happens as we walk humbly with our God. Now just let you, just let this blow your mind for a minute because what Micah says is we get to walk with God. We get to walk with God. And so the the last point here is that walking with God implies the relationship and consistency of a transformative journey. So first of all, walking with him implies relationship. When you ask your date, can I walk you home? It means I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know you more. I want, to, I want to see where and how you live. Walking with someone implies relationship. Walking with him, secondly, implies consistency. It's putting one foot in front of the other in a particular direction. Now, there's a fantastic book by Eugene Peterson on discipleship where he compares the Christian life to a pilgrimage. And it's called a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And I think that that is a perfect description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Walking with him means that we're on a path of obedience leading in a certain direction. And so lastly, it means a journey. Walking with him implies a journey. And if there's a journey that we're on with him, it implies none of us has yet arrived. None of us has arrived. We are constantly being shaped as we walk with him.
And that journey with him is transforming us, it says, from glory to glory into his likeness. Romans 8.29 says that we are destined to be conformed to the image of his son. Our destination is that we will be transformed into people that look like him. And so we're in that growth process. Remembering that's, that it's a journey helps us to have grace for ourselves, to remember we haven't arrived yet. We're being transformed. We're in the process. We are saved. It's done. It's a finished act. And yet we're in the process of being saved and transformed. And God is faithful to, to, to finish, to accomplish what he started in us. And so there's many strong demands on us. There's this call to live a life of true justice, of mercy, humility, and that is pretty daunting. And actually in ourselves, naturally, it's impossible to hold those three things together. You can't achieve that simply by sheer effort. But the good news is that as we walk with God in Jesus Christ, we become disciplined to him. We become disciplined in his ways. He promises to make us into the kind of person who naturally lives like that, who naturally thinks and acts and feels as Jesus did. That is what he has destined his children for, to grow up into the fullness of the image of Christ. And so that is good news. And it's good news that makes us humble in gratitude and sets us free to be truly kind to others. Why? Because he was lovingly kind and merciful to us. And that compels us, it pushes us out into the world to do justice just as Jesus declared his own mission to be. It pushes, out, pushes us out into the world to be agents of loving kindness, to work towards the renewal of heaven and earth just as God promised. So I'm going to close in prayer. And I'd like to provide an opportunity right now for anyone who may be here or may be watching online who has heard the message today, has heard the words of that blessing and knows that they don't yet belong to Jesus. And that blessing belongs to everyone who belongs to Jesus. And so you can step into that relationship to walk with him even today. And so if that's you, I'd like you to, to pray these words of commitment to him. There's nothing magical about it. It's a simple, humble commitment to him. And he promises that when you commit your life to him, he enters into your life. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He transforms you from the inside out and you belong to him. So if you'd like to make that commitment today, just close your eyes with me and we're gonna uh, pray this prayer that you can repeat with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize the mess that I've made of my life, of how I've tried to make my own way and prove myself. But I recognize that I need you. 
thank you that you came and died for me. That you took the justice that I deserved. Thank you that you offer me the free gift of becoming your child. Jesus, today, I receive that gift. Make me your child. Give me your Holy Spirit and make me a new person. I commit today to walking with you, to learning from you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.